This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 2. And uh, we are looking at the seven churches of Revelation. Today we're going to look at the church in Smyrna. I've titled this message today, The Suffering Church. The church in Smyrna, if I had to put it with the Dear Church, which is our sermon series, it's Dear Church, I See Your Pain. Dear church, I know what you're going through. And it's a powerful, powerful word when you think about what the church in Smyrna was facing and what God says to them. And so in Revelation chapter two is where we're going to begin. Now let me give you a little background. Smyrna is about 25 to 40 miles north of Ephesus. In fact, Smyrna today is Izmir, Turkey. In fact, I have a map, I wanna show it to you. Helps you to see where the the seven churches are. So if you will see here, we started in Ephesus and we're heading up the coast to Smyrna. Smyrna is also a coastal city. In fact, it had a safer port than Ephesus did. So it had a lot more trade that would come into it than even the city of Ephesus. It was a phenomenal uh, city. It was called the Port of Asia. Uh, Ephesus was called the Light of Asia, but Smyrna is called the Port of Asia because of its excellent harbor, because it was a wealthy city, it was a thriving economy, and it was a main trade route from Rome to India to Persia, uh, and so it was a very, very, um, it was a, it was a, a, a very well-off, uh, thriving economy and wealthy city. Also in Smyrna, we had the what's called the Agora. The Agora at that time, ladies, you'll like this. It was the largest market place in all of the Roman Empire. It was, I mean, it was huge. Three levels, market. Uh, it was a major trading area, especially as the, the, the ships would come into the port and they would uh, begin to move their product. There was that agora and that was a major place. So the, the economy is a very strong economy. And it gets then, it brings us then to this passage of scripture that we're going to unpack and look at today. Now, I want to let you know, I'm going to dive in into the scripture a little bit deeper on the front side of the message because you've got to understand what the Lord is saying to the church in Smyrna for us to pull application out of it. We're going to have some application at the end and there's going to be a few things that I want to pray over you at the end of this message, but you've got to dive into this scripture with me. So open your Bibles, turn in your devices. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, To the angel, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. To the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, I didn't talk about it last week, so let me uh, pause for a moment and say that the angel of the church, most scholars believe, was the pastor of the church. The pastor would be the primary messenger of the, of the word, of the message of Christ, and to the people. And so the angel of the church, most believe, was the pastor. And honestly, it really doesn't make sense that it would be a real angel, because an angel is 
was giving a revelation uh, to John, and he wouldn't be saying, now take it and give it to another angel. And so it makes sense, uh, uh, even within our context, that this would be the pastor of the church, the messenger, the minister, who was going to deliver that message to the congregation. And we read last week that the one that reads it and hears it, the one that obeys it and studies, especially this book in Revelation, will be blessed. And so today, I just want you to say, I'm going to be blessed because we're studying the book of Revelation. I'm going to be blessed because I'm sharing it with you. And so if anything, I'm going to walk away blessed today because we're looking into this word and we're looking at what God says to us. And so the angel of the church of Smyrna uh, uh, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. The first and the last refers to the eternal nature of who God is. It's a title that was associated with other titles that we read in scripture, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The first, that, that because all things were made by him, he was before all things with God. John 1 and 1 through 3 tells us that he was the first, but also in the end, in the last, the first and the last, he will be the one that judges all things. All things will be under his judgment and therefore it's showing us that God himself first and last, Christ, the beginning, the end, the alpha and the omega, it's talking of his eternal nature. Now that's important as we dive deeper into the scripture today because we've got to hold on to the fact that our God is an eternal God. He was the first and the last in creation for him and through him and, and in him are all all things, say it with me, created. He was first in creation. He's first and last in the providence of taking care of his people. He is the first and the last in redemption. You and I find salvation and, and uh, a walk with God and forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. You see, everything in our faith as followers of Christ, Christ followers, I don't even like to use the word Christian anymore because everybody says they're a Christian. It's one thing to say I'm a Christian. It's another thing to be a Christ follower. It's another thing that your life is being molded into the image of Christ, that you're a miniature representative or replica of Christ, a miniature Christ-like. We'll never be God, but we're to imitate the nature, grow into the nature of God himself. And therefore, we can see that in this right here, in the eternal nature of who God is, he says the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Thank the Lord today that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. He left the deity of the heavens. He came out of the heavens, the, the, the unity with God the Father and the, and the Spirit. And he came down and took on the form of a man so that he could take your sins and my sins, that he could carry the weight of the world, the sins of the world on himself. He was crucified on a cross so that we could break the power of sin and we could be forgiven of sin. Can someone just say amen for a moment? He died on a cross so that you and I could be made right in the eyes of God, standing in a right place. You see, before Christ died on the cross, we had no way to get to God the Father unless we went through another. 
but now Christ is the one who has given us, he's given us eternal life. He's given us forgiveness of sin and he was resurrected and he is alive. I just need someone to say amen to that. He is alive and we can rejoice in that. Now this is important for the Smyrna believers, the Christ followers, because they were facing imprisonment and death for their faith. In fact, it's something that's going to remind them that no matter what they walk through, Christ himself has walked through it and Christ walked through that and became victorious on the other end. And, and so John is pointing out, he's pointing out to the church of Smyrna that death is not the end. That death is not the final uh, uh, last call for you and I, but that there is victory over death and it's what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. In fact, the scripture says a day is coming when Christ will cast death and Hades into the lake of fire. And boy, I'm waiting for that day. I don't know about you. I'm waiting for that in the name of the Lord. Well, look in verse nine. I know I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know it. I know uh, your afflictions. I know your poverty, and yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Here he unpacks this. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. You see, many believers at this time was financially ruined and they were being martyred for their faith. There's a couple things that are happening here that I think helps us to understand why the church in Smyrna was suffering so greatly and the message that is coming to them. First of all, what was happening in Smyrna at this time was that there was called what was called 10 percenters. 10 percenters were people that would turn in believers to the Roman Empire and to the Roman government would turn them in and when they turned them in because see there was a, a hatred towards believers and followers of Christ because many were coming to Christ out of Judaism and of course Rome didn't want any uprising didn't want anybody to overtake them and, and so Rome was constantly trying to, to squash the move of God and, and believers and because as people were coming to Christ, there was this persecution that was on believers. And so these 10 percenters would be Jews that would turn in the, the Jesus followers, right? They would drew, turn them in and they would get 10% of all of their possessions. And so when he refers to the poverty, I know your, I know your affliction and your poverty, this poverty is because they've lost everything because of the cause of Christ. Because they're followers of Christ, everything has been stripped away and now they're scrounging and trying to make a living and make a way. And that leads to the second thing that's happening. So there was these 10 percenters, but at this time in Smyrna, what was called trade guides. Now trade guides, the best way to describe it to you today would be like a labor union. 
The only way that you could work is if you had membership in one of the trade guides. And, and every different trade had a, a different, if it would be union, had a, a different uh, a membership that was there. So if you wanted to have a job, you had to have membership into one of these trade guides, these, these, uh, these work unions, you know, these labor uh, unions. If you didn't, it was virtually impossible to find employment. Now, this is what's happening. I want you to see the sacrifice of these believers. In fact, I, <laughs> I wonder if we've lost this kind of... Uh I wonder if we've lost this kind of sacrifice uh, today. It's coming again. I believe that we're going to have to make it. But man, when you think about what the believers in Smyrna was going through. So, so think about this. The tour guides or uh, the, the, the trade guides, I should say, uh, uh, practice deep pagan worship. And so they would participate in these rituals and orgies and, and drunken parties and they were full of idolatry. In fact, if you ever go with us, in fact, next summer, uh, God willing, we've got a planned trip to go here and we're gonna visit a lot of these places that I'm talking to you about right now throughout Turkey and Greece and uh, looking at these places and you'll see there's many, many different temples and these temples were to different gods and these trade guides would worship these gods. Uh, they would have idolatry uh, idol prostitution going on. I mean, there was so much that was taking place. Well, Christ followers had been delivered from this. Christ followers had been set free. They were walking a holy and a righteous life. They were going where God wanted them to be. Christ had called them to be holy and they had left that behind. And so when they would refuse to participate in these pagan practices, what would happen is their membership to a trade guide, to a labor union would be canceled and it would give them an inability, it would cause an inability for them to have secure work. And so when we look at this, we see that they were in extreme poverty. They lost their possessions. Why? Because of their faith in Christ. Because they were standing for Christ. They couldn't find employment. Why? Because they were Christ followers. Now I want to just remind you, this is in the book of Revelation. And I'm telling you, it tells us that during the tribulation, these times are coming again. And like I told you a couple weeks ago, I just want you not to get too comfortable in thinking that the rapture might happen on the front side of the tribulation and that you go, no, you, you don't have to go through any of this because if by some chance that some of the scriptures that indicate that we will go through part of the tribulation is accurate, then the reality is you and I, Christ followers, those that are dedicated to Christ, we're gonna go through this kind of things again. Our possessions, our ability to work, our ability to trade. What are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna find a way. We're not gonna rely on the government. We're not gonna take the mark. We're not gonna worship the Antichrist. We're gonna keep our hearts true on the Lord Jesus Christ. But tough days are coming and this church shows us how they can endure and how we can endure through this. The believers in Samaria, uh, Samaria remained faithful to Christ. And that's what I love about this church is regardless of the cost, regardless of what it was gonna cost them, regardless that they might've lost everything that they had worked for. I mean, think about the dilemma that you wanna receive Christ and yet in your mind, in that moment, you're realizing and you know what it's going to mean the moment you take that step. 
I mean, today we have people that just pray a prayer of salvation flippantly off of their lips. Sometimes they, they, don't, even, they, they don't even really mean it. They, it doesn't really change. There's not a true repentance. It's just a God, uh, I, I give my life to you. And then they go on living the way they've always lived. I'm telling the church in Smyrna, there was a choice that had to be made when they were going to become a Christ follower. And there was a price that was going to have to be paid. And yet they stood faithful. They remained faithful. They prayed and they gave their lives to Christ. And he says, I see it. I see your afflictions. I see your poverty. And yet you are rich. I want you to underline that. Poor in material possessions, but boy, spiritually rich. Spiritually rich. God's grace, God's mercy was being released. God's, uh, uh, you know, blessings of promise of heaven and, and eternity with him. That God's power not only would be with us, but his power now is going to be in us. Can I hear an amen on that? That, that his power is at work within us. That the glory of God was going to be released. That we were, we were going to be rich in wisdom and knowledge and all of these things, this is where they became rich because of the sacrifice. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, those 10 percenters, those that were turning them in, but really they are of the synagogue of Satan. Now here's a moment that I want to just grab your heart. And that is no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation, no matter what troubles that you may be walking through, especially when we understand the battle that's going to be before us. And boy, trials and troubles and tribulation and dark times, they're inevitable. They're going to come. They're unpredictable, right? They blow in at, the, at moments that we can least expect it and they come into our life. They, uh, you know, they can be intense. They can last uh, for a long season. I mean, we've heard testimonies even today in our service of, of the loss of a loved one and yet standing in that moment and in that pain and saying, God, I'm going to glorify you in my life, through my life, in every way I can. You see, that's what the Lord was saying to the church of Smyrna. He said, if you'll be an overcomer, I will give you the crown of life. The persecution that came on the early church may come again. And I believe that this message is an encouragement for you and I. Let's look here. Let's look here at verse 10, our next verse. Do not... Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, for a short period of time. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, verse 11, he who has uh, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, churches, the seven letters. He who overcomes will not, say will not, be hurt by all, at, uh, be hurt at all by the second death. I couldn't hardly see my notes there. And, um, and so when you see this, uh, you, you um, I, I think it really just leads me to, to uh, the, the reality of what they were going through and what they sacrificed 
in what they were going through because of their faith in Christ. And Christ says to them, you're going to suffer. Suffering's going to come. But in your suffering, you're going to get the crown of life. And when you overcome, I love, it says it to every church, you will not be hurt at all by the second death. So in our final moments today, I just want to be real practical. And I want to give you just a couple thoughts on what do you do in life's darkest moments, in the darkest hours of your life? Maybe the darkest hours are about to come. Maybe you've walked through them in the past. But the reality is they come upon us. They come in moments that we're not expecting. They come in, in all kinds of intensity. And what do we do in those moments? Well, the first thing I want to encourage you is we've got to refuse to be discouraged. Write that down. In fact, type it in your notes right now. I've got to refuse to be discouraged. Let's look back at our scripture here for a moment. It says in verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Don't be afraid. You will suffer persecution for a short while, for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death. I mean, think about it. If this is being said to you and I, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. You see, what he's doing is he's encouraging. He's encouraging them to refuse to be discouraged. Now, this is why. Let me be practical for a moment. The reason is because what you and I see in the natural, the perception of what we see, God is saying it's not reality. What you're going through is not the reality of all that I'm doing and everything that I'm about to do. I want to remind you today that our human perception is not God's reality. What God sees is something totally different. We see a little part of the overall portrait. If you look at a portrait that's been painted, you will see that there's dark colors and there's bright colors and all the colors come together to make a beautiful portrait. Well, this moment, the darkness in our lives, the dark seasons are those dark moments, but God's got a, a bigger portrait that he's trying to show you and I. You might be fighting cancer right now. You might, be, you might be without a job. You might be struggling to pay your bills. You might be walking through something that's very painful. Maybe there's been a relational uh, conflict or breakup in your life. You may feel like, man, the devil is winning this moment right now. Hell is celebrating and hell is winning the victory. You may feel like you're never going to get out. I just want to remind you, perception is not reality. Come on, I just need somebody to agree with me in the spirit. I want you to, in fact, say it with me. Perception is not reality. No matter what it looks like, no matter what you're going, it's not the complete picture. When you hear this message, God is saying to you and I, we've got to be an overcomer. We've got to remain faithful in our suffering. Why? Well, we got an eternal God. He's the first and the last. He's in control. He will sustain us. Even in death, we're going to be victorious. That's the God that says, I am with you. I'm going to take that defeat and I'm going to turn it into a victory. I'm going to take that trial and I'm going to turn it into a testimony. That's what God wants to do. I want to show you a scripture. Look with me here. I think I've got it. Uh, on the screen, uh, you can see it here uh, and read it with me if you will. First Peter, in fact, read it aloud. First Peter chapter five, 
First Peter chapter five and verse 10. I'm gonna read from the message Bible, but it says the suffering that you're going through won't last forever. It won't be long before the generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, he is eternal, he is eternal and glorious and these are eternal and glorious plans, yes they are, he will have you put back together and on your feet again. He gets the last word, yes he does. Someone say that, type it actually, yes he does. God gets the last word, I love it because it's saying, you see, no matter what we're going through, it's not gonna last forever. This that we see is not what God sees. Perception is not reality for God. And God will strengthen. One translation says here, he'll put you back together again in the message. In another translation, it says, God is going to strengthen you to overcome. How? Because he is all powerful. He is eternal. His glory is the very thing that's going to undergird. I mean, it's going to lift you up and it's going to see you through this time of suffering that you're going through. So the first thing I want you to write down is that if we're gonna walk through these dark hours of our life, we've gotta to refuse to be discouraged. The second thing I wanna let you hold on to today, and for me, this is the most powerful one, is that we've gotta rely on God. You see, the scripture says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, I'm telling you, when God speaks it, I mean, we can hold on to it. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer because I'm telling you, I will give you the crown of life and you will not be hurt. You see, when we begin to think about relying on God, God is making promises to you and I and these promises are promises that we can hold on to. Now I can hear, I can hear you now saying, Pastor, how do I really rely on God? Well, a few weeks ago, we, we said to you that... One way that you rely on God is you rely on his word. The word of God becomes the guidebook to our life. His word is his promises to you. In his word, he will guide and lead and enable you to know how to walk in truth and in righteousness. In fact, a few weeks ago, we really talked about anchoring into the word. Now, I wanna encourage you because I just, I just really believe that we're in a time we're in a moment that we've got to be anchored into the word of God. Just watching and listening and attending a service once a week is not enough. You've gotta be tuning in, in your spirit, into the word of God. You may never hear a sermon. You may never hear a devotion. You may never be able to tune in to our noontime message of hope. But if you're in your word every day, if you're reading your Bible every day, you're walking through the word of God, I guarantee you, it's going to be anchoring you. It's going to be strengthening you. It's gonna be guiding you, transforming your life. The reason many of you are wrestling and struggling and are overwhelmed and anxious is because you're not anchoring into the word of God. The most important thing that we can encourage you to do is to get anchored in God's word. Our daily message of hope, noontime prayer, Monday through Friday. One of the reasons that we're 
We're doing that is just as a way to encourage you in your spiritual life, to help you, you know, learn more about the nature of God, to learn how to grow your faith and, and get the roots of your faith deeper and deeper, deeper where you're drawing nutrients from, from the depth of the, of the essence of who God is through his word, and it'll strengthen you, and it'll empower you. So you rely on God, first of all, through the word. I'm telling you, man, every week, now part of it's because I'm spending hours and hours and hours in preparation for, for different things that I'm doing. But I'm telling you, when I'm not in the word, when I'm not reading the word like, like, I, like I'm used to, I feel it. I feel weak. I feel spiritually weak. I, I begin to feel my attitude, uh, uh, having, having a, you know, a little bit of attitude adjustment needed to it. I find that if I'm not in the word, that I'm beginning to look at things from a human perspective. I'm beginning to see things that are going on and then you start hearing the, the news and you begin to watch social media and you begin to get caught up in all of the things that are happening and it's so easy to be overwhelmed, anxious, begin to worry, begin to doubt what is God doing and why is this happening and then the enemy gets right there, doesn't he? And man, he just starts whispering in your ear and he starts discouraging you and, and before you know it, Man, all these arguments, the Bible says, against God, the nature of God, the knowledge of God begins to bombard our minds. So you rely on God. Primarily, I'm taking time here because I'm gonna just keep hammering this because we need it in our life. We've gotta rely on God's word. I said a few weeks ago, you gotta be anchored into God's word. So how do I rely? I rely on God, first of all, through his word. But secondly, I rely on God when I get into his presence and I, and I just learn to, to be in the presence of God. Man, I'm telling you, I love to, to worship the Lord. I just, I love to come into to a place of worship. If, if it's at my house and, and I'm watching a service like this or if it's in the auditorium, because what happens is as I begin to worship the Lord, as I begin to sing songs like we've sang today, all of a sudden God's presence begins to bring a peace into my life. Man, where I'm overwhelmed, in fact, he says he brings a peace that passes all understanding. When I begin to worship and get into the presence of God, a peace begins to come on me and all of a sudden confidence begins to rise up and that which I was maybe worried or anxious about or, or, or my attitude or, or uh, things in my life needed some adjustment, man, the more I worship, the more I begin to see that taking place. I wanna encourage you, when you're getting into God's presence, man, you gotta pray. Pray in faith. Man, spend some time deep in, in prayer. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the word, a world. And so the more that, that uh, you are praying in faith, that you're praying in the spirit, man, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, exercise that gift. Exercise it. Pray in the Spirit. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and having the gift of, of tongues is you, know, you have the ability to commune with God and the Bible says in Corinthians, it brings edification back to you. Now you may say, Pastor, I don't know much about this tongues thing and I, I don't understand. I don't even know if I, I really agree. I just want to encourage you to dive in and study the scriptures a little bit and begin to see how God used this gift to encourage and strengthen believers in their walk and in their faith. Because we're coming into a time 
in a season. We're coming into an age as the church that we need to be more in tune with the spirit than we've ever been in tune with the spirit. And as you begin to pray, as you begin to exercise that gift, you begin to stir it up, all of a sudden, the spiritual weapons that God has given to us enables us to destroy the enemy's strongholds. So I wanna encourage you, pray in the spirit. If you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, begin to pray for it. Begin to seek God to give you that gift. And as you begin to pray, I believe God is going to release that on you. This is what I know. CLC, we need to be a praying church. We need to be a worshiping church. We need to be a church that's deeply rooted in the word of God. Tough times are coming. Difficulties are coming. Not just in society. It's not just COVID. It's not just, are, are, are we going to make it through this pandemic or, or the politics and all that's happening around. I'm talking about persecution on the church because of your faith. And I pray that your faith is rooted, it's deep, that when persecution comes, Pastor Kevin and the team may not be there to worship with you anymore. I may not be there to be able to help you to understand the word of God, but there is something that's anchored you in and you're relying on God no matter what you go through. We need that in our life. I rely on God through his word. I rely on God in times of worship and getting into his presence. I, I rely on God for guidance in my life. About a month ago, I guess it was, I uh, shared with you a message. And if you haven't heard that message, I wanna encourage you to go back. It's in the archive on our website. And that is developing cultural discernment. You see, you will be guided by God as you develop discernment in your life. One of the ways that you develop discernment, I already talked about, and that's anchoring to the word of God. But another thing that we learn to do is to frame the perspective of what we see is not God's reality. So we learn to frame and filter all that's happening around us. And then we walk, and this is probably one of the hardest parts, we walk in wisdom. You see, it's a walk of wisdom. It's a walking out your faith. Where, where do you walk out? You walk out what you've gotten anchored to. As you're drawing from the word, now you're walking it. The Bible talks about a walk of righteousness, a walk of obedience. There is a walk to the Christian life and we've got to walk it. The problem for many today is they're not walking their faith. They're not standing for their faith and they have no persecution yet. Wait till persecution comes. The Bible says there'll be a great falling away. So my heart is beating that for you, Christian Life Center, those that are tuning in or are part of our, 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 our congregation here through the airways, my heart for you is that something is gonna to begin to transform you and God's gonna to begin to do something in you that will totally turn your life around and no matter what comes, that you know that you're relying on him and you're holding on to him and nothing's going to shake you. Nothing is going to make you lose or turn away from that which you're holding on to. Can I just hear an amen for a moment? Man, the other thing that for me and uh, probably I shared with our team this week, what I'm very concerned about right now in COVID is this last area of relying and that is 
relying on others to support us and, 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 and come around us. And I'm gonna come back to that in a moment. But see, I can rely on knowing that God's protection and God's power is with me, that he is undergirding me and, and holding me up. So I want you to say this with me. I just want you to say with me, we have to rely on God. I've got to rely on him and, and hold on to the truth of who he is. Now, this is the warning is that Satan's gonna do everything he can to prevent you, to try to sidetrack you. He's gonna do everything he can to try to discourage you. In fact, what I'm seeing right now in the church, and I work with a lot of pastors and, and uh, we're talking about what's happening in our churches. The weapon that the enemy is using right now is a weapon of discouragement. He's trying to weaken the believers and he's trying to break unity in the church. What's happening in, in many believers right now, especially through the season of COVID, is that there is an apathy that's coming over their heart. Yes, they, they have rituals that they've done, like we talked last week in the church of Ephesus, but there's no deep brokenness and love and, and, and a heart of humility that says, God, I want you more than anything in my life. And they find themselves drifting in apathy, compromise. We're gonna look at that in a couple of weeks. There's a church here in our seven churches that he talks about that. Another thing that I see happening right now where the enemy is trying to do everything he can to weaken you and to distract you and, and detour you is he's sending temptations to you. See, you're isolated right now and because you're isolated, you're weaker. The Bible says a cord of three is not easily broken. You might be at home, you might be watching, you might be tuning in, but the reality is we need one another to strengthen ourselves. And the enemy brings temptation. Temptation comes from the enemy, not from God. And temptation leads us to sin. Trials and, and troubles may come and God allows those to come to grow us and to test us and to strengthen us. But temptation always comes from the enemy to try to get you to feel guilt, shame, condemnation, to begin to feel like, God, I can't do this and to give it up. And I got my towel. I've been wiping all, all day. To throw in the towel, that old saying, to say, I give up and to walk away. The enemy's doing everything he can He's coming against, I see it more than anything, pastors. He's coming against leaders. He's coming against workers, volunteers, those that are serving in ministry, those that are pushing forward to do something for God and to get close to God. God, man, I wanna do something for you. As soon as you start saying that, I'm telling you, the enemy's been waging a warfare against you and he's been coming at you. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, you gotta get, you gotta get to a place where you can determine in your heart that I am relying on God, that I rely on him. Now, I know I'm losing time here and, and I better get the music team back up here soon. Let me wrap this up. But let me, let me share you the third thing that you do, no matter what your dark days look like, no matter what you're going through, is remember and boy, we've talked about this a lot these last six months as we've been trying to help you to keep faith and hope and, and to see what God is doing. But to remember that suffering will not last forever. You gotta keep your focus and your hope on eternity. You gotta keep your eyes on where your help is coming from. You see, he says, I see your affliction. I see your poverty, yet you are rich. 
You have eternal treasures. Why? Because you've remained faithful. You relied on me. You've trusted in me. And because of that, there's a heavenly reward for you. Look what Paul says here. Let me read it to you from the words of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 18, so we do not look at the troubles. We do not look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. And I want to take you to the very last book of Revelation. And I want to show you what that's going to look like. Look here with me in Revelation chapter two, uh, 22. And verse 12 says, Behold, I come soon. I'm coming quickly. Sorry, my King James started coming out. Behold, I'm coming soon. The question I have is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he's coming soon? He says, behold. That means awaken, be, be ready. Look, I come quickly. I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, who cleanse, who purify, who are ready. Blessed are they that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city of God. Man, what a beautiful day that will be. What a beautiful day when my Savior I shall see. What a day that will be. And see, the reality for you and I is we've got to be ready. See, what breaks my heart right now as I look across the spectrum of Christianity and I don't see a bride that's ready. I don't see a bride that's washing their robes. I don't see a bride that's separating and, and relying and depending. I don't see a bride that's trusting. And Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And I think it's closer than we've ever been before. I grew up, I grew up in church. We used to sing the old hymns. That's all we sang. You know, we would turn to a certain page and we would sing and we didn't, we didn't even have words on the wall back then. They, 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 they thought we were off the wall, but we didn't even have words on the wall then. And uh, we would sing out of the hymnal. And there was an old song, I have a home in glory land. And we would sing that song. Some of you, you know that song. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I, man, this is where the song would pick up. I took Jesus as my savior, you take him too. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. He's coming with his reward. He's coming for his bride. He's coming to receive us. Now this is talking about the second coming of Christ, but he's talking about us washing our robes and being ready for the return of Christ. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.